This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Welcome to the Craft Beer and Bring Podcast. I'm Jamie Bogner. This is episode 248, and we've got a hybrid live and remote podcast going on today. <laughs> We're here recording in the Craft Beer and Bring office in my nice little podcast studio that I built that very rarely gets used for in-person live podcasts, but is also is the place where I typically do remote podcasts. Um, we're here with Bob Slack and Justin Teff from Pulpit Rock Brewing, who are out here in Colorado. Bob is here in Colorado for the Worldworks Invitational that's coming up this this weekend. And Justin is back in Iowa. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Happy to be here. Thank you. Uh, and we've got you patched in, and we're, you know, it's an interesting one. I've never really done it this way, where we've got <laughs> somebody remote and somebody live, um, you know, but. Uh, well, yeah, Tef had to work, and, you know, I wanted to go on vacay, so. Hey, that's how it goes. Uh, you know, as a little bit of backstory, when we were, when I was out in, at our Minnesota Craft Beer Festival in April, I ducked down then to Chicago the week after that, filmed some classes for all access video program. On the way, took a little uh, detour down through Rochester, Minnesota, met up with Austin from Forager for a podcast. And then I was like, you know, I would love to go stop down. While for, we're here. While I'm down this close, let me go down to Decorah and see, uh, you know, what, uh, if I can take a look at these breweries and uh, of course that was where we got to meet and uh, it was a kind of a quick one we didn't have time for a podcast that day um, but I did get to see the brewery we did get to talk about things and we did get yeah. to, to make a connection shared a beer it was a great time we did we did uh, and so now we're here we had made the plans to do this so that uh, so that uh, Justin could also be a, a part of this thank you all for joining me for it we're going to talk about everything from stout brewing to IPA brewing and um, you know maybe a few other things along the way of course stouts though specifically that dessert stout approach that you all take is uh, <laughs> it's probably what the bigger broader world outside of uh, your home markets really know you for yeah it's what we become known for it is what you become known for um you know however you certainly make a full lineup of different kinds of beers you have to you do yeah yeah we're going to talk about all those things but first for nearly 30 years gd chillers has set the mark for quality equipment you can rely on GD stands above the rest as the only chiller manufacturer that engineers your glycol piping for free. GD also stands alone as the only chiller manufacturer with an in house team of installers and engineers with 30 years of real world field labor experience in breweries, wineries, and distilleries. Contact the Total Glycol System Design Experts today at gdchillers.com. Also, what if you could take your favorite recipes and make a non alcoholic version? without sacrificing the flavor, color, or beer quality. N.A. No problem. The Alchemator from ProBrew uses proprietary membrane technology to strip the alcohol from the beer without sacrificing all the elements like flavor and color that make your beer great. Are you ready to brew like a pro? Check out www.probrew.com to learn more about the Alchemator from ProBrew or shoot them an email at contactus at probrew.com today. ProBrew is a subsidiary of Technoblend, now a ProMock brand. So let's start off with you, Justin, since you are out there uh, on the on the phone. Talk to me about uh, the your entree into beer. What were those kind of what was that connective moment? And then how did you decide then to turn beer into something that you were going to build a career from? 
I think it was back in my college days, kind of started dabbling in drinking craft beer, uh, drank a lot of natural ice too. <laughs> um, and then it wasn't really until I moved to San Diego for a brief time that I really fell in love with craft beer and could kind of see like the, the breadth of what was out there, you know, drinking Plenty the younger, or not the elder, uh, a bunch of stuff from Green Flash and things like that. I kind of fell in love with the craft brewing scene uh, and the beers that were available. And then my roommate and I at the time uh, started dabbling with just stovetop batches, uh, just extract brews. And, you know, that was, that was fun to drink some craft beers, make some craft beers, and, you know, kind of spiraled from there. <laughs> sure, sure. Then how did you end up, how'd you get from Southern California to Iowa? Uh, I'm actually originally from, uh, I grew up about 20 miles east of Decorah. Uh, so I ended up moving back to Iowa. Um, just decided that I loved making beer, uh, doing that in my parents' basement multiple times a week. Uh, and, uh, Ended up applying for a job at uh, another brewery in Decorah here. I uh, got a job there and then eventually uh, got approached to start Pulper Rock. And here we are now. Very cool. Very cool. Bob, what's your story look like? Uh, before we do that, uh, Teff, you have to tell them uh, the story of your ancestor in Dorchester. Uh, <laughs> yes. I, uh, there's obviously uh, back in the 1800s, like many, many, many more breweries. Um, but apparently in the hometown that I grew up in, I uh, had an ancestor that worked at a brewery and they ended up dying by falling in a kettle. So, Oh my God. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like my, my fate is kind of, it's an ongoing joke in the <laughs> determined. He's got to get in there one day. Does the ghost help you or haunt you? <laughs> <laughs> I try not to think about it too much. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, past is hopefully not prologue in this sense. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bob, what is what's your story look like? Uh, the classic one where a kid goes to Europe, tries uh, something that isn't bush light for the first time, gets blown away, uh, came back, um, still kind of drank macro stuff through college, uh, got introduced, oddly enough, to Belgian beers. And it was actually my first love, uh, corked 750s of Duval, Unibrew, uh, captured my heart and I couldn't believe beer could be that. Um, so I drank that for a very long time. Um, started dabbling in other stuff. Could not stand IPAs the first time hmm. I tried them. Uh, now I have them every day. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm drinking one now. I know. It's great. Uh, and then, yeah, started homebrewing at 19 and one thing led to another. Uh, got a job kind of as like a summer gig at a, a now uh Sadly, a uh, defunct brewery um, in Iowa. Worked there for a couple of years and then also got hired by this other brewery in our in our town. Uh, and then along with Justin was uh, poached to start what we have now. <laughs> poached. Poached. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this other brewery will remain nameless, but I'm sure people can do their own research <laughs> on that one and figure that one they'll out. They'll figure it out. At what point did you decide, like, hey, this is what I – want to devote my life to and i want to make beer for a living 
Uh, or have you have you yet to decide that yet? I mean, you know, I don't know I what I'm going to be when I late. grow up. I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, there was actually, oddly enough, uh, one point when I was ruining my mom's kitchen uh, that she's like, I think you would be good at this. I'm like, really? You mean it? Um, and yeah, I don't know. I just, it was, it's the passion, uh, for the whole, uh, process and the, I mean, now it's the community and all the great people that we've got to meet over the years. Uh, I don't know. I just, I love it and I wouldn't trade it for anything. So. Yeah. I feel like I'm kind of in the same boat where it's, you know, a hobby turned like didn't really anticipate going into the professional world of it, but it just kind of happened and yeah, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah. The, the scene, the people, it's just, it's, it's an amazing industry to be. For sure. For sure. And you all have been able to make a, a mark certainly bigger than, uh, you know, I guess that's an interesting thing about that town of decor, a very small town, um, you know, very small population, but certainly breweries in a plural sense that have <laughs> reached out beyond the expected geographic bounds of, of a town that size and, and made a mark, uh, you know, in a, in a, you know, bigger beer world around the country. Uh, yeah, I think that's uh, partially because of our um, incessant uh, need to do collaborations. Like we love reaching out to other people and traveling uh, to other breweries or other breweries come here. Um, it's truly one of my favorite parts of, of the job. Um, it's going back to, to meeting new people and uh, learning new techniques. And uh, yeah, um, I know people have been very kind to us over the years and I don't know why, but we'll, we'll take it. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Well, there's a, a 2018 breakout brewer story in Craft Beer and Bring Magazine about you all and a recipe for Little Buddy Pale Ale if people want to try their hand at brewing a pulpit rock beer themselves. I forgot about that beer. Go uh, go dive into our archives and search for that because it's all, all out there. Um, let's pivot and talk a little bit about stout brewing. Certainly that's what people know you all most for. I, I shouldn't say this. Those are the beers they tend to get out further, get right. traded out to, you know, to, to further things that tend to get attention from, uh, you know, the, the, the hype market in the beer world. It's certainly not the core of what you do. You all are a brew pub, uh, you know, or a taproom focused brewery that is, spends a lot of time making great beer for your local market as, and, and then also does packaging that gets out there too. Um, you know, certainly the barrel aged beer is not the focus of what you do. They are a part of, of what you brew. Um, let's talk about that for first is your brewery struggling to source or afford berry ingredients. Historic heat waves devastated us berry crops, causing supply to dwindle and prices to skyrocket. That's why brewers are switching over to old orchards, craft concentrate blends, which mimic straight concentrates, but at a better price point and with a more reliable supply. Is it any surprise that Old Orchard's best sellers are raspberry and blackberry flavors? Reclaim your margins and order your craft concentrates at oldorchard.com slash brewer. Also working on a new sour beer, Fermentus, the obvious choice for beverage fermentation, is now offering an expanded range of dry bacteria for the production of sour beers. To learn more about how Fermentus can improve the quality of your fermentation, and for the latest on their exciting new product releases, visit Fermentus.com. So now you can set me straight if I said anything incorrectly uh, right there before the break. Otherwise, we can uh, dive into to talking about stouts. Yeah, no, you, you, you hit it. Um, yeah, we're primarily taproom focused. Uh, we do uh, can a lot of beer um, uh, for off-site uh, consumption, sale, off-sale. Um, 
and we do like to do the uh, the release format. Um, we do a little bit of distro, but it's very limited. Um, and we kind of would like to keep it that way. At, at one point early on, we, we we vowed to never sell beer outside of decor. It's changed uh, <laughs> since then a little bit, but sure, sure. But it's still pretty true uh, uh, to that original vision. Um, and so you mentioned earlier you're poached. What what does poached mean? I, I I guess there are other investor owners in the brewery. You, you yeah, all... they they uh, they uh, were looking to start a brewery in Decor, where there already was one small town. We thought they were crazy, and with a lot of anxiety, we accepted. Mm. Uh, and yeah, we haven't looked back. Um, early years were a little rough, but I think we kind of came into our own, um, especially with like what we're uh, known for now, because peers like that weren't really being made in Iowa uh, at that time. Um, and yeah, I don't know it's kind of like I said, what we uh, what we love to make. Sure, sure. So this other brewery that you worked for certainly built a name for their brewery with coveted, particularly barrel aged stouts. Um, as you all then moved into Pulpit Rock and started brewing, was there uh, did that become an expectation that you then had to live up to? Uh, you know, how did you then? decide hey we're gonna go do this too i mean i think everybody <clears throat> excuse me uh everybody loves ba uh stouts uh we do too um it's one of those things where we actually didn't uh release our first uh BA beer till two years in um and then it was a very fledgling program like we only had eight barrels um now we have uh what 36 which is still not much. It's still uh, not very much. No, no, no. We're, we're, <laughs> 36, yeah. boy. Yeah, yeah, you guys yeah. are just blowing up the market. We're not. That's uh, why they're there. <laughs> yeah, we're not like Central Waters or Bottle Logic or any huge brewery like that. Um, no, uh, we're trying to get 48, so that's a big number for us. Okay. Dare to, dare to dream. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Barrel-aged stouts haven't always been our focus. The thing that I think we've really tried to um, – strive for as of late is a consistent release of a non-barrel aged pastry stout hmm. uh, and then maybe uh, anywhere between two to four BA releases a year. Like I said, we don't have a lot of BA beer to blend with um, and it's one of those things where it's it's much easier for us to release a non-barrel aged beer because we can crank that out faster um, and then let the, the BA beer sit until it's it's ready. We, we uh, yeah, Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, like, it used to be when when we had just eight bourbon barrels, it used to be like, you know, one in, one out sort of deal. Like, we would release those eight bourbon barrels that year, like, a year after. Yeah, so like, we're sitting in the barrels, and now we have a little bit more of a stockpile, not much, but we can, you know, sit on them until they're truly ready. We're trying to get better at blending. <laughs> yeah. And let more beer sit there so that you have broader yeah, blending stock. Yeah, so that's, uh, I mean, I guess I don't know if this is the right point to talk about it, but uh, <clears throat> due to the uh, viscous nature of our stouts, uh, we found that like they need longer to sit in barrel. So we're looking sure. at now, I mean, it's quite common now that uh, the beer has to be like two years old or three years old. Um, I actually brought you the those uh, gift bottles, a blend of three-year-old Imperial Stout and two-year-old, uh, over two-year-old uh, barley wine. Um 
yeah, early on we would release it, like as, as Justin said, on a schedule of like 12 months. Like, well, this beer's ready, so it's got to come out of the barrel. Sure, sure. Uh, and now we um, draw the hype of these non-BA cans to basically fuel the the time that we we, we need to wait for the, the, the real good stuff. Uh, and then we also like to try to do a tandem release of a non-BA can with a BA um, uh, on the same day. So well, is the, the challenges of any business trying to, you know, cash flow, baby, make sure the cash flow is in the right place that, uh, you know, make sure that you're not also just frustrating consumers around this, but also making the products that you want to make to, to reflect, you know, what your vision is for the brewery itself. We, we had a, a release years ago that I overheard somebody kind of like, I didn't get any barrel character and it was like lit a fire and I'm like, I'll show you. So as you all dove into making barrel-aged beers, how did you start thinking about how you would differentiate what you made from others? And and obviously, you know, there's there's that um, dinosaur in the room, uh, you know, <laughs> that uh, we, we won't address. But, uh, you know, in that sense, you also worked within a community of brewers and you've got fantastic peers locally, like you mentioned, Austin Forager. Great you man. Know, you're, you're right there, uh, you know, with uh, relatively close to Chicago, where you've got the strong barrel aged beer tradition, uh, you know, from Bourbon County onwards. You've got Central Waters. You've got a whole bunch of others that are making fantastic stuff up there. Talk to me about how. Totally how you all set out to uh, differentiate yourselves and make something that was uh, going to, you know, you know, <laughs> just reflect the quality that you wanted from pulpit rock. Uh, I don't know if we set out to do that, uh, but <laughs> stumbled, stumbled into, <laughs> yeah, we literally did. Uh, I guess I would say uh, we could put it short uh, viscosity. Yeah. Um, that's, I guess what it's, uh, <laughs> it's gotten out of hand lately, but uh, yeah, that's one of the things that uh, people seem to gravitate towards these days. Uh, and like I said before, that's, that also necessitates, uh, the longer maturation of the beer. Um, yeah, uh, that, and, um, I guess we could talk about the adjuncts later, but it's just our approach to the, the adjuncts. And we actually only released our first straight up, uh, barrel aged stout. Tough one was that, was that last December, December before that, wasn't it? I guess 2020. Yeah, it's 2020. I don't know. They all all kind of run together. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's all the same year. Um, so then, talk to me about building this recipe with an idea of viscosity in mind. You know, trying to uh, kind of capture that that richness and mouthfeel. And you know, as we talk about this in the world of imperial stout, you know, this same effect we you know we see it across other beverage categories as well. Uh, you've got winemakers that are also pushing that kind of you know, inky viscosity in wine. You've got other beverage makers. I mean, ev- you know, even think about uh, the kind of viscosity in coffee drinks now. Uh, you know, it's something that we all seem to expect from a palate and a texture kind of standpoint. Uh, Beer is not alone in this, but it was certainly a jump, you know, a number of years ago as we moved from, say, that thinner approach to barrel-aged stout that Bourbon County defined into this kind of richer, blacker, uh, you know, thicker, sweeter, uh, more viscous stout approach. Um, how do you all, how'd you all start going about building that? We've gone through a couple different iterations of stout recipes. Uh, we started out with one for probably the first, gosh, two, two and a half years. Uh, but it really wasn't like a vehicle for the barrels, I guess. Uh, it ended up 
we were using a lot of roasted barley in it and it kind of came off as like ashy and acrid. Um, so kind of had to almost cover that up with adjunct to make it palatable. (laughs) Wow. We've since, since changed our recipe as of, I think it was probably late 2019, early 2020, somewhere around there. Um, to we've eliminated the roasted barley in the recipe, uh, use a lot more uh, crystal malt, dark crystal malt, uh, to kind of make the base beer more palatable and more fudgy, uh, more of a vehicle for the adjunct for the barrels, kind of just let the barrels do their thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of been one of those things where, you know, we didn't exactly know what we were doing right out of the gate, but <laughs> kind of, kind of figured it out along the way. Yeah. Uh, uh, to, to Tef's point, um, people will stop and ask us, we're like, what are you using for cacao or chocolate in this beer? It's like, it's just the base beer. Um, yep. yeah. So we're, we're huge fans. Uh, we're not going to give you the full grist, but, uh, huge fans of, uh, Simpsons chocolate and then Cara Roma, Cara Bohemian to name a few. Um, uh, yeah. And then the, the whole process of doing it is it's laborious. Uh, typically the, the wort boils overnight, you know, like we concentrate it overnight. So like I'll come in, um, uh, at, I don't know, right around somewhere between two and 4 PM do two mashes, essentially mostly first runnings, fill up the kettle. Uh, what is pre-boil gravity goal? We don't even check it anymore. No, <laughs> it's just as much yeah. as you can get uh, out of there. Yeah. It's usually like 90 or something like that in specific gravity. Um, uh, or right around there. Um, and then, you know, pour a bunch of so you, you firm s- cap you in it. You stop running off at, uh, you know, what point do you, you know, you say it's mostly first runnings. Uh, it, we, we just put a small amount of sparge water on the top and it's like what we can get in the kettle. Uh, oh, okay. Um, typically, yeah, we're right around uh, 10 barrels to set it for overnight. Uh, and then firm cap uh, boils, uh, you know, until we come in the next day, might be 12 hours. Um, at that point, we're maybe lost about half the, the kettle volume and then make a final, uh, the same, like a third mash. And then transfer that ward in. And then by that point, usually we end up somewhere um, in specific gravity, somewhere around 160 to 170. Um, boil normally for an hour after that, even though it's boiled for so many hours. Uh, uh, only hop extract uh, for bittering in the kettle, about 45 IBUs. Hmm. Um, and then knock it out. And uh, uh, we, we ferment with uh, USO5. Yeah. Dry. And it works beautifully to achieve uh, not what you're really going for most beers, but uh, 50% attenuation. And uh, <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, yeah. It's, 50% yeah. is good these days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we like a terminal uh, uh, gravity of anywhere between um, specific gravity of 60 and 80 um, hmm. for barrel or for now. It's, it's funny. Like it used to be 40. And then we went up to 60 and we're like, wow, this is nice and plush. And then we went up to 80 and we're like, this is probably too much. And then people started clamming for it more and we're like, okay, where's the ceiling now? You know what I mean? Um, so, but we still, I think I would keep it. Yeah. Somewhere between 60 and 80. Uh, that's a really nice level of plushness. And then it's a nice, uh, it's a nice canvas to paint on with adjuncts if you want to, or throw into a barrel and wait forever. 
are you are you using any techniques to produce um you know gravity builders that won't necessarily just be perceived as sweetness ooh uh couldn't really thought of it that way uh it's just it's what the wart ends up being and it's just yeah i don't know uh there is there, there seems to be a balance uh there to it but i think we just kind of by luck stumbled upon it um i don't know tough what do you think uh yeah i would agree with that i mean we don't necessarily go out of our way to you know have all of this residual sugar in the base beer we just kind of work with what this base has become uh, i mean we can kind of touch on adding certain adjuncts that will, you know, kind of also boost that viscosity and mouthfeel and other ones that kind of take detract from that. Well, let's talk about, um, you know, building layers. You mentioned using uh, uh, dark specialty malts, um, but maybe, you know, building some additional layers of of flavor through that without spilling the entire grist bill, which I know, uh, you know, uh, you want to to keep somewhat secret there. Um, Talk to me about some of those, uh, you know, kind of crystal caramel mid layers and, uh, you know, how you think about building that supporting, uh, you know, element for the, the deeper chocolate notes. Uh, so we use, uh, we, we can tell you all the malts. We just want to tell you the percentage. I mean, whatever, fair um, enough, fair <laughs> enough. uh, raw two row, like classic flaked oats, sure. um, uh, Simpsons crystal extra dark, um, Vireman, uh, Cara Bohemian and Cara aroma. And then, uh, the, a higher percentage of, uh, chocolate malt. And I guess to answer your point, um, Justin and I really looked at the, the layering of the, those, uh, those caramels, I guess, is like the supporting fact with more chocolate malt uh, than we did before and uh, removing the roasted barley, which we thought we were kind of getting like that. Uh, I we describe it as ashy. <laughs> I don't know, just like a, a harsher a harsher character. This is more round, if you will, uh, polished. Um, but rather than using more of the debittered malt, you just got rid of it. Oh, crap. Well, for, yeah, we also have C3 in there. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> we, we do use <laughs> Carafa 3 as well. It's still predominantly chocolate, though. Um, uh, how do you then, you know, of course you're building sweet beers, you know, some of that roast character, you know, some of that, that you know, little coffee element character that comes from darker malt. It can be useful and necessary to balance out some of the intense and abject sweetness that is also clearly a part of these beers. Um, how do you all think about building that kind of balance, obviously, without, uh, without roast malt in it? I think it's the... Uh, kind of alluded to this earlier, but, you know, there's certain adjuncts like the, like when we do vanilla, for instance, uh, without adding sweetness, it adds like that kind of faux sweetness and richness to the beer versus like adding peanut, for instance, kind of, you know, it adds a peanut flavor, but dries the beer out. Right. So it's kind of this balancing balancing act of you don't want to add too many adjuncts that are going to dry it out artificially and too many that are just going to make it just, you know, unbelievably sweet and unpalatable. So I think there's that, you know, we kind of we basically use the same base recipe with varying starting and finishing gravities and kind of go from there 
and this is balancing act with the adjunct. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's if that it, makes sense. Yeah, it's just one of those things. Like we we have the same base, and then I guess it comes down to the adjunct versus like manipulating the base. You know, for the adjunct, we 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 alter our adjuncts to fit around whatever that base is. Um, that that particular batch. Uh, to speak on what Justin said, yeah, like nuts, I think can um, help basically bolster the flavor of the beer. That's why I guess we've got to become known for a lot of nut beers. Um, I guess, I, I, in my opinion, the best uh, pastry versions actually don't have uh, that many pastries in it, and it's actually just the sheer amount of nuts that we put into it. Um, we uh, were very fortunate to have a, a good friend uh, in Decorah, uh, who is uh, the head of uh, Luther, um, basically the, the kitchen there. And uh, he's an old friend of ours, actually Tef's former roommate. His name's Ryan Peterson. He's a great man. Uh, Luther is the college that's in Decorah. Yep, yep. Small private university. Um, it's because we basically buy uh, so many pounds of raw nuts and then Ryan is actually able to process all of them for us. So buying them raw, having them freshly roasted or toasted for us, um, that I think gives us the edge in our in our pastry game. I mean other people don't have that uh have that ability. And I think that's really one of the only reasons why we 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 stand out. Well I would love to t- we'll talk we'll come back and talk about that process around nuts because that's really interesting that you're insisting on fresh roasting your own nuts in order to you know accomplish that and, and figuring out how to get extraction out of nuts while also balancing fat content and uh, other negative impacts having the beer those are all things that I would love to talk about but I, I do want to you know I, I do want to keep talking about this you know base for a minute especially as you were mentioning earlier uh, about how building this viscous stout uh, well let's first talk about fermentation because you're using USO5 you know your or, or Chico you're getting this into a nice you know you know uh, clean fermentation with low esters are using any enzymes to you know help promote fermentation at this you know higher abv what's that goal abv that you hope to be you know push this into barrels at when do you consider fermentation finished and are there any other uh concerns during that fermentation process with a beer this big that you guys uh employ in order to get successful fermentations before you then load it into a barrel i mean we don't we don't stress the the base beer too much we try and get that like seems like the magic number is like 50% attenuation to kind of get it into that like 1060 to 1080 range. Uh, we don't really go out of our way to like add any additional enzymes, uh, make the, the wort extra fermentable or anything like that. Uh, we do end up having to basically like pitch more yeast during fermentation to hopefully have it finish out at that and we <laughs> honestly kind of struggled with that as of late yeah it's one of those things we've, we've actually been blessed um it's almost uh not crock pot brewing but like set it and forget it and like the ferment is uso5 almost would immediately uh, attenuate to 50 percent and just hang out there uh from there uh cold crash it for a long time um with biofine and uh get her nice and clear and then uh from there it's ready to use yeah uh, we don't 
this sounds funny, but like we just don't really go. We just stumbled onto this method that works for us, and we don't uh, usually have to go out of our way to correct anything. Um, but then you did mention earlier that you do have a small range of different gravities that then, you know, yeah, to it, go it, into this. It just depends on the batch. Like I said, like we don't, um, we don't set, I mean, unless we specifically want like it very rarely anymore, are we trying to target one particular gravity because we're also making this at least once a month and we'll actually have it, uh, held like fully biofine chilled uncarbed sitting in half barrels that we could either then later throw into a barrel or uh blend them together uh for you know a non-ba stout so just kind of having a a myriad of different gravities laying around you know different paints to paint with uh it's just one of those things that we've we've kind of like blending you know with with barrels but with uh with gravity (laughs) um we're not pros at it yet, but uh, <laughs> we, we, we at least, one of these days you'll get the yeah, hang yeah. of it. We'll figure it out one day. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, it's uh, Im- important to us to always have a, a stockpile of, of the stout and be constantly producing it. So I would sure. say we, we at least brew it once a month, um, sometimes more. Talk to me about that barrel aging process. Then you mentioned that as it got more viscous, that uh, you noticed that uh, they the beers really needed more time in the barrel to to pull character out of the barrels themselves. Yeah, so we um, initially, yeah, the, the beers were far lower gravity. Um, they were maybe going in the barrel at 145. Or sorry, <laughs> sorry at 45. Jeez, uh, that would be really thick. We noticed that as the viscosity went up, just that we weren't able to it just wouldn't oxidize basically. And then, and then the, mm. the, the, the other thing we stopped doing was uh, we used to constantly top off the barrels and we stopped doing that. So sometimes actually the, one of the latest releases, you know, we were getting 40 gallons out of a 53 gallon barrel that was full, you know? Mm. So it's like that evaporation over time also adds to uh, the density in the end. Right. Yeah. And it's like we said before, like where we don't have uh, a lot of barrels to blend with. We're trying to, add that over time um and then also with the range of densities we haven't really manipulated the recipe that much i guess we're actually bad at uh doing that we should uh anytime we do a collab we should actually uh uh manipulate the grist but we just kind of stick with what we know to bob's point too we have kind of started manipulating the barrels that we're putting it in uh, so it used to be a lot of like 10 to 12 year heaven hill barrels like almost exclusively and we've started ranching out a little bit more uh, into some younger barrels different distilleries and stuff like that uh, so it's, we're hoping that we have more blending stock and maybe stuff that ages out a little bit faster uh, that we can pick up that barrel character maybe in not two to three years but 18 months or you know, something like that it seems to be 18 months to three years right now. It's kind of like the sweet mm. spot. We actually have um, a couple barrels left that are that are three years old now, and we're hoping to uh, maybe make some with them later this year. Uh, yeah. At different age, you know, uh, and intensity will contribute to that kind of depth of blending stock that you're looking for. Yeah, uh, like I said, we're we're still very new to it, uh, but we're very happy with some of the things we're able to do lately. Uh, we have a a collab we did with uh, Horace, and it's half uh, half barley wine, half uh, stout. So the the um, 
the stout was three years old and it was actually the original grist that we were talking about before that had a lot more roasted barley to it and it even though it i don't remember what the the terminal density was of it but it was still very plush but it comes off as very dry uh to blend it with um and that one's almost kind of getting a little bit more oxidized soy saucy to blend it with something that was a little bit younger and very very plush uh the end result i think was actually pretty fun um, and that was, I guess, the first experience that we've had um, being able to blend um, with the stockpile that we've had. Um, so give us a few years. I think sure, we'll have. Sure. A, <laughs> I think we'll have some more fun stuff coming out in the future. Um, no, I had a similar conversation with uh, Marty from Revolution. We were doing a podcast with them a few years ago, and uh, you know, he was mentioning they had you know some brewing experiment where. Or they had some batch where like it finished at twenty four Plato, and you know he just said fuck it, let me throw it in there and in the barrels and see what happens. And it was like, turned out that uh, you know right, it aged a lot slower, but um, seems to survive in a much more hardy way through that barrel aging process, even though it took more time. And that uh, you know it's never anything they would release by itself because it's just so sickly sweet, but that it added this other nice character that they could blend into other beers. Um, you know, and that in a way just didn't pick up that same kind of barrel, you know, barrel uh, character. It's it's fascinating to see that uh, you know we are moving out of this era. Well, I mean, we're we're fully out of this era of single stream beers for the most part, and uh, fully embracing that idea of the blend in order to to build these beers, build uh, character, yeah, you know, in the way that you want to achieve the goals and flavor that you're looking for. Uh, yeah, I would say. I mean, also in 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 terms of that, like the the density, we still. I don't know. I don't think a lot of our barrels are very liquor forward in the end because of that that plushness in the end. Um, I think it kind of helps cushion that, if mm-hmm. you will. I mean, we've all had stouts that you know are great, but they're like hot with liquor. Right, um, I right. don't think we really have any of that in our inventory. So we've talked a little bit about barrel aging, the you know base beer barrel aging process. You know the the kind of beer that you're putting into the barrels. Uh, I want to talk about what happens then when you bring it back out and start thinking about how to use some of this stock, how to then, you know, blend potentially from different barrels or different ages or, or whatnot of that stock. And then how you start envisioning, you know, maybe as a chef does, you know, building ingredients into, you know, this kind of base to build a a finished beer out of it. I want to talk more about that, but first some exciting news about three new roasted malts from best malts. Chocolate black and black malt extra, these German malts, are roasted in a gentle, fluidized bed process to create smooth, debittered flavors when compared to traditional drum-roasted malts. They are perfect in Schwartz beers, box, alts, brown ales, porters, and stouts. Best Malls products are available exclusively through Country Malt Group. Contact CMG to try a free sample today. Also, as Craft Beer's most trusted point-of-sale system arrived as the mobile all-in-one solution you need to decrease service friction and increase guest satisfaction. With a full suite of craft-specific features, no contracts and no monthly fees, Arrived provides the necessary tools to help your brewery grow. Go to arrived.com forward slash CBB to set up a free customized demo that's arrived, A-R-R-Y-V-E-D.com forward slash CBB. Remember, there is no I in arrived. So let's talk about this next phase of uh, of your stout program where you all have an idea that you want to create a 
you know, a new beer and it's time to go pull something out of barrels and make something, uh, you know, what does that next piece of the process look like? Where, where do you, uh, you know, do you start with an idea of adjunct ingredients that you want to pull into this, pull barrel stock to kind of match and complement that? Do you taste barrel stock and then, you know, use that as an inspiration to think about what kinds of ingredients will be, you know, useful with that? Maybe it goes both ways depending on what the circumstance is. Talk to me about that creative process then that you all engage in and, uh, and what it looks like next. Uh, I would say that we typically do the former where we have an idea of what we want to accomplish uh, in terms of the, the finished profile and then uh, with the adjunct in mind and then uh, pull barrels that suit that. Hmm. Um, you know, it's always a blessing and a curse to start your morning out sampling eight barrels. But um, <laughs> uh, no, do, like we're, we're, we obviously only try eight <laughs> well, <laughs> amateur. At a, at a certain point, it's just like, man, you can't taste anymore. Um, now, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll we'll sit down and have like a target release date in mind and then go through all of the inventory that we have, uh, the most mature stuff, and um, pull samples and say like these are our leading candidates and then uh, order, order the adjuncts, get them in stock, and then when it comes uh, time to pull, like we'll retaste uh, like the, the contenders. Uh, there, there have been times in the past where we thought that one barrel was going to be the one, uh, but actually ended up being uh, its contender and uh, pull that one instead. Um, and then in terms what of what would change something like that? What do you what, in that kind of I, amount of time yeah. between your samples? What, do you, what How would you describe a difference in, in those? I don't know. It, it could be the order which you sampled. Mm. them um yeah. you know say context like, definitely matters yeah yeah like the, the first one of the day you're like wow that's good and then like the eighth one's like blah you know when you're tasting very similar things um no i mean we we i can't really speak to to that in in, in depth but um it's just we we go basically on sensory ab yeah ab above all else um and then yeah it's kind of one of those uh those things that we we pick a uh adjunct profile that we're going to go for let's say you know coconut almond um and we well, what's the creative process behind this like how do you come up with like <laughs> hey these are the things i want to blend now are you looking to you know what other folks are doing out there are you inspired by nostalgic ideas of desserts you've had in the past is there i mean is well, just a yeah, moment right. or does somebody say hey there's this new thing you should try this <laughs> truth be told at this point now it's kind of like what haven't we done um <laughs> uh but i mean sometimes i guess uh, well we the the inspiration i suppose is more of like in our in our pastry sour series right. uh um but we'll talk on that later uh in terms of the stouts it's one of those things where it's kind of like hard to get away from making a coconut stout because that's right. what you know coconuts king in in the stout game so you know typically we have to make something like that um or or throw in another nut um but i, I would say that uh regardless of what we choose uh when we get it in um Shout out to nuts.com. Jeez. Uh, sure. Lovely products. Uh, we, we order everything in raw. And then the uh, the man I mentioned earlier, Ryan, uh, from uh, Luther College here in the, uh, Decorah, um, will take them and roast them all for us. Uh, and what's the difference then between buying already roasted nuts I just, and then having them buying them fresh and then having them roasted? I, I, yeah, it's it's a sensory thing. I think you can immediately notice the difference between the pre-toasted and then something that's freshly toasted. Mm. Um, and it's one of those things where uh, he has 
access to all the convection ovens and uh, uh, the coconut specifically. I think he uh, back in our in our small batch days when we were starting to develop all these beers, I, w- I would roast them at home um, uh, in a electric oven and uh, would kind of be afraid to like over toast it. But then we ended up not extracting like as much flavor from it as possible. And so uh, he delivers um, the very well, like not borderline burnt, but like very well toasted mm. uh, coconut. And we've seen to extract more uh, that way um, than than under. Uh, so just well, by heavy, heavy, heavy toasting it. Yeah. Uh, but then the fact that he also has these like commercial convection right, ovens, right. that's like, I think, really the, the key there. Um, what but, do you think drives then that kind of intensity of? I mean, obviously, yes, you're you're you know dropping down the the flavor of the coconut from the higher notes that tends to come in untoasted coconuts into into more of that you know kind of richer mid tone of, of coconut. But you know, you're also you know in some sense you know maybe burning off a little bit of oil in the process too. Is this too scientific? Okay, yeah, it was, it was like it was one of those. Like, it's just I mean, like, we, like, it's one of those, Yeah, we we don't. It's like I said. It's just yeah. that's what we've noticed works. Just works best. Yeah. To, to your point, yes. Uh, I mean, it, it makes sense that you might be flashing off something. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. It's the 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 proper medium, medium rare, medium uh, well toast. Yeah. Is, is what works best. Um, well, and that's for coconut. How about other nuts? Are you, know, are you pushing like with, you know, something like a hazelnut also yeah, yeah, kind of so, uh, going deep into the roast on that? Actually, no, it's the, it's the not necessarily the opposite, but uh, yeah, we feel, feel you can get like a, a bit of acridness from like an over toasted nut. Uh, right. So we try to go a little bit lighter on that. But the other key with it is that after they are uh, roasted and cooled, almost kind of like carryover cooking thing, like pull them before they're done and let them um, carry over cook uh, out of the oven. Uh, after they are cooled well enough, uh, they're pulsed up. So we get like the max amount of surface area. Mm. And that's very important. So like the first time that we tried doing uh, a hazelnut stout, uh, they were roasted appropriately, but were, um, were, le- were left whole and we got nowhere near the amount of mm. extraction from that. Uh, so then the other thing to, to tie all these things together is that you have whatever blend of nuts or pastries that you want, and this is not going to be applicable to many other breweries, but we will uh, choose the uh, diameter of the tank that suits the volume of stout that we have. So it's like almost a perfect level of uh, the the bags of nuts to the, the volume of the beer. So we... <laughs> We'll sometimes tie up a twenty-barrel bright tank for four barrels of beer and about four hundred pounds of nuts, just because. Just because volumetrically, that's what the amount of max, nuts. That's ma- what will max saturation at that point, and then we'll, we'll tie it up for maybe about a week, and then we'll uh, do the same thing again. So, it's not it's it's the combination of that, like the freshly roasted nut, uh, picking the right size uh, volume tank for the volume of the beer. Uh, with the displacement, all this adjuncts, and then um, uh, doing multiple rounds. So that's the other thing. It's like we 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 will do almost mirroring uh, batches of adjuncts. So let's say it's 150 pounds of coconut, 50 pounds of almond. Like that's just the first round. Then you have a second round of the same thing, um, 
and but at that point we have to go into like a smaller tank you know because there, there's the absorption of the adjuncts in the other tank um so let me back up on this for just a, for just a second you know first when you say you pulse what does that mean i mean how small are you looking for you're just not like, like, a, for like powder a, you're looking no for no, no just, just like a ground up nut okay at least to get it cracked uh so if you put it into like a robo coop or uh we, we uh, if we have micro amounts of stuff at the brewery, we'll, we we have a Vitamix. You know, like one or two pulses mm-hmm. is enough to just enough to kind of give it a, a rough crush. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're able to extract much more at that point. Um, so, and then so, from there you go into bags. That yeah. So the uh, you, the you don't use a recirculation tank. Or no. Anything so it, it's it's one of those nope. things where we yeah we we landed on this method. Um, and like I said, it might not be applicable to other breweries. Uh, uh, to tie up a bright tank that long, sure. uh, but we actually have <laughs> we have uh, more bright tanks than fermenters in our brewery because we do so many of these infusions, and there sometimes some of them require multiple infusions. So uh, we we need all of that that tank space to do this, um, or or some different tanks. We just like the the variety of of sizes in tanks, so that you know we also sometimes use these bright tanks as unit tanks. You know, like we'll ferment in them if we have to, obviously package out of, and then. Um, when we talk about the pastry beers, uh, we uh, infuse our fruit and all that stuff in there. Uh, getting back to the stouts, we will buy just crap tons of the uh, 12 by 19 uh, fine mesh straining bags mm. from BSG. Um, you can boil them, sand them, uh, and then load them up with these with these nuts, uh, almost like they're sandbags. And so we throw all these sandbags arrange them into the bottom of these uh, flat bottom bright tanks and then transfer the beer onto that. Hold it uh, cold uh, for, depending on what we're trying to do, uh, typically about a week and then maybe another week. Cold. Uh, yeah, cold. So like we do everything How cold? cold. Uh, about 36 degrees. Fair enough. Oh, yeah. Uh, very cold. Yeah. So uh, Why we, cold rather than uh, warmer extraction? We just felt that that's the best character. Actually, we've, we've tried to do uh, warmer extraction, like room temp beer and nuts. And I would say that you're going to get a much faster extraction, but you might not pull the same character. I don't know. It's, I guess, a more gentle approach. Hmm. Um, and we're able to dedicate that amount of time to it. Um, and I, I, I truly think that that's what makes the product what it is. Uh, so it's the – yeah. Cold extraction over a long period of time and then multiple doses, typically two, sometimes. I don't know why peanuts always, like, give us trouble. Sometimes it's three. We've had to do four infusions before in the past and just, you know, cursing the whole time. Um, <laughs> That's crazy expensive, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, the beers are very expensive. Uh, but it's one of those things where if, if if you want it to be that way and all real and no extract, like, that's the, the only way we've been able to accomplish that. Um so, yeah, multiple, multiple extractions, and then, um, and you just take a taste-driven approach to this, where you do the extraction. Oh yeah, you so, guys. Yeah, so so for example, like a coconut beer, we kind of have down like now to our ratio. Uh, but then like a, we're getting better at peanut, but for like a period of time, we were throwing in like I don't know, God, like over a hundred pounds per barrel of like peanuts, and. It was just ridiculous. A hundred pounds per barrel. It was that. Don't quote me on that, but that 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 has happened in the past. That's not. That's not. That's not oh, that's, yeah. yeah, yeah. I it, mean, that's, that's conservative on some level. Yeah. Uh, so 
when, when I say correct for flavor, sometimes we'll move the beer into its final packaging tank, taste it there pre-carb and realize like, oh gosh, like this doesn't have like the explosive character that it needs. And then we'll call up our best friend up at Luther and he'll emergency roast uh, something. <laughs> and then so, sure, sure. so I would say if you're in a pinch, like we have been in the past, you can, you know, eke out what flavor you want in as little as a day or two. Yeah. Um, if there's already like a base level of flair. So, so the only analogy that I've ever used in the past is sort of like you're making a stock first to then use that stock to make a soup. So like you get a base level of flavor right. to work with and then you, you cap it off in the end or like, you know, it's the frosting to the cake. You know what I mean? Your brewery's CFO is a saint and, uh, you know, being able to operate that way and say, yeah, this batch is going to take a few hundred extra more pounds of nuts. <laughs> I mean, that's a, it's an insanely, you know, challenging approach to take from a financial his perspective. Na his name's Scott and he believes in this. Okay. Hey, you've got the support and you've got the backing. Thanks, Scott. Not, not every brewery has that same kind of luxury, but, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's it's just, it's one of those things that also because we're a small town, we've, right. we've had to, uh, make beers this way to gain attraction to get people to come to us sure because we don't distro so we have to go over the top in order to be heard so yeah, yeah. and again some strong competition in this tiny little market uh, yeah, yeah, right. it, yeah. it's got to be good it's got to be good um yeah so we, we've talked about nuts are there other adjuncts that uh, you all are particularly attracted to that uh uh, and have found a process that, that works for you. I mean, I'm curious about this. It just seems like, like you know, you yes, you're pulsing. You know, you're trying to, you're, but you're also extracting Surf, cold surface area. Yeah, you know, it's you're all, creating all more the, surface area, but then you're also working against that by doing a cold cold extraction. You're also doing it in bags where you know material can clump up and it becomes harder to kind of mix and, and get the most out of all of that surface area. You know, there's some ups and downs to the, you know, the way this is going. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious. I mean, obviously this is why you're using a whole bunch of. So yeah, uh, the actually Tuff could speak on this. The very first batch of BA coconut beer we made, we actually uh, threw it all in, free balled it in the tank. And I was kind of like right now uh, out of town and Tef had to deal with it. And you want to tell him about it, Tef? Uh, yeah. Uh, so the 2017 uh, release of BA Sticker Shock, like one of our first BA beers, the first time we had done coconut on the commercial scale and thought like, oh, we'll just throw some filters in line. It'll be easy to transfer the beer on and off coconut. It was like a 17 hour transfer for a hundred gallons of beer. Oh my God. The unfortunate, it's got plugged. The unfortunate the valve. <laughs> yeah. It was just that coconut just got stuck in the valve. The unfortunate uh, thing about it was that we were going to do the multiple, like two infusions. So was Bob was talking about <laughs> earlier. And so the second tank was already ready with the coconut in it as I'm doing the 17 hour transfer knowing and it's going to so, happen again. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so just transferring it onto, yeah. onto more loose coconut. Uh, we, we got it off. We got that beer packaged. It, it tasted very nice. <laughs> so yeah, after that experience, uh, we're like, well, that's never happening again. Um, and so we started bagging everything and that's when we started developing the, the, 
uh, tank geometry thing that we use now um, for, for max surface area based on your volume. Um, truth be told, it's kind of, we actually leave uh, these transfers hooked up overnight. So if you think about pulling like a, a tea bag, you know, like bagged up tea, tea bag out of your tea, like how much liquid leaches out of it after you pulled it out. So we'll actually leave uh, the transfer hooked up overnight after the transfer and the amount of beer that leaches out of these these bags is pretty substantial. Mm. Uh, and so that's, I guess, one additional thing that we've we've learned over time that, you know, mostly from like not having to clean it out of the tank, you know, after it's all done. But we're like, hey, man, we're like losing like five gallons of these bags. Uh, so you let them sit for a little bit and you try to reclaim that. Then. Yeah, yeah. And it actually works pretty well. Uh, and so the bags are actually quite dry at the end of it. Huh. Um, and that's the only thing that we've really learned over time. Um, makes cleanup easier. And sure, then we, sure. uh, we we gain a little bit more volume in these micro amounts of beer that we already make. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Beyond coconut and you know nut ingredients per se, are there any other adjuncts that uh, you all particularly like working with or have found some creative methods to use in your barrel-aged stouts or barrel-aged and regular imperial stouts? Uh, yeah, so uh, we both love coffee, um, as a lot of people do. Uh, so we actually use uh, coffee from our, our, our local roaster and our friends at Impact Coffee in Decora. Um Typically, we prefer an African coffee. Hmm. Why? Uh, it's just honestly, well, the the character that you get. Like, I think Ethiopian coffees, like we tough enough, both love uh, Ethiopian coffees. Uh, so either Ethiopian or Tanzanian. Cinnamon is is touch and go. I like it, but it seems to be you need a, a deft touch with it. Uh, so in the past, we would also make um, kind of the uh, quote Mexican style like stout. So I always love this stuff. Um, was coming out of St. Louis, you know, like the original. Sure, sure. The, the OG Abraxas, like the, mm -hmm. that stuff, so good. Um, and so we, we actually made a couple uh, uh, chili cinnamon beers. Um, but uh, we've kind of skewed away uh, from that now, um, leaning more into our nut game because that's what we personally like to make and then uh, people drink. Uh, other than that, like if you want to – if you want to get into the the cans, uh, we'll, we'll do uh, pastry things. One of my favorites uh, also involves nuts, uh, but black walnuts, which are kind of mm. uh, indigenous to the the area, uh, that have a more intense flavor than like a sure, regular sure. En English walnut. Uh, and then brownies. Basically, Ryan will make us all these all these pastries. We can throw them yeah. in the beer, but for the for the BA stouts, we try to keep it a little bit more simple and and strictly uh, coconut or nut forward. Walnuts are a tough one, especially with black walnuts with a little bit of that bitter component to it. Where uh, and they're know. crazy expensive. Yeah, how do you how do you make a, a we, delicious tasting beer out of that? We've actually only done uh, one, and honestly, the only reason uh, I think the <laughs> it was a a brownie uh, black mm. wal walnut uh, BA. Uh, Imperial Stout, and quite frankly, I think the, the bitterness was counteracted by by the the sugar in the brown. Right, right. Um, we, we haven't done a, a straight-up uh, black walnut uh, beer yet, but someday, someday. Sure, sure. Well, let's switch gears and talk about uh, pastry sours because that's another element where you all incorporate interesting ingredients into you know, this broader piece. Talk to me a little bit about that program and uh, you know the creative process behind it. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like with the with the stouts. Uh, very few people were doing that at the time, and we became known for them. And because we're a taproom only brewery, people would come and buy all the cans, and it was 
great feeling uh, have people travel all that way. Uh, I was actually personally inspired years ago uh, by making the pilgrimage from Decor all the way to uh, Casey, and I was enamored with their – I mean, obviously, their beers are absolutely outrageously amazing. Uh, but enamored with their their approach to their their fruit, so that they were able to have these connections right. with fruit farmers and use only high quality fruits. Uh, we weren't able to do that with our our, <laughs> our kettle sours, uh, right, but right. we we have basically strictly used uh, IQF frozen fruit hmm. uh, since we started. And so really, so you're not using a septic puree? Then we do have a couple of purees that we finally. What do we? What do we say? We succumb to puree pressure or something like that. Uh, <laughs> we, 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 yeah, we, yeah. Uh, but but that's uh, typically for. We rarely do, and actually now the only time we use puree is for actually a uh, a puree seltzer. Huh. Um, but no, uh, it's all IQF fruit. Um, and so typically, so in the in the past, it was it was so much easier back then. All you had to do was just raspberry, just peach, and like, right. and now it's like an arms race. You have to like, what's what else can you throw into a beer? Um, so I would say like typically uh, a common beer would be uh, four, seven barrels of beer. It would be like 600 pounds of fruit and then uh, 20, <laughs> 20 sheet cakes, like 20 sheets of white cake um, that's – once again, the college will make for us. So actual white sheet cake. Yeah, yeah, yep. Why do that rather than finding ingredients like you know vanilla or adjusting the malt components you we, know, to add a more biscuity, bready kind of, of element to it? Uh, we, we have done that in the past, um, and it's just one of those things that comes back to the quality of the ingredient um, that, I don't know, it's like a, a – I would say textural component, but I feel like there's no other way to get around it. Um, so I guess I call the other beers like a simulated or si- sorry, simulated <laughs> uh, pastry beers versus like, you know, adding the actual product to it adds a, a layer to it that you can't get any other way. So we've talked about using sheet cake and that that's a crazy process. Um so yeah, so like the the pastry sour. So originally we first came into it, like I said before, using whole fruit, and that was just enough. And then uh, we started experimenting on a small scale with adding actual pastries to it, and the reception was enormous. People people loved it. Um, over now, the- is this something that was sensorially driven, or is this something that is? Instagram driven changing people's perceptions on their palate. So we had never had one before. Is this something people can perceive blind? Oh, actually, I have a, a fun story about that. So, uh, so the same people that make uh, other things for us uh, have a a granola that they give out to all the students, and uh, the very first iteration making a granola based beer is peach granola, and. Uh, blind tasted it randomly at a friend's house and a woman that happened to uh, go to school there was like, is this Luther granola? She was actually able to pull it out of the beer, which is crazy. Um, yeah. So I, I think we've dialed down the the level of pastry-ness over time to be a little bit more balanced. Definitely let the fruit shine, not so much uh candies and cakes, but they, they do have an underlying uh, foundation of flavor in the beer. I guess I would say my, my favorite is the granola or um, a white sheet cake or muffins. We've done donuts in the past. Those uh, <laughs> sure uh, people don't uh, 
Love that so much. I actually had a friend say like, Bob, I love you and your generosity, but please never give me one of those again. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, you know, so I assume on this that you're using a pretty standard lactic acid bacteria, you know, kind of yeah, so, sorry. process. Yep. And that's okay. If there's nothing unique or special to that, then nope. uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Omega's lacto blend and we ferment it out with uh, uh, quake yeast. Oh, okay. Um, because we are a Norwegian themed brewery, we actually use quake yeast in our in all of our IPAs and um, in our kettle sours. Also, the flavor of the fermentation is not really the point in these beers, and getting oh, no. it done quickly and uh, like like I said before, it's it's the canvas in order to, to paint on for sure, for sure. Yeah, much so, much much like the imperial stout, standard base recipe, and you just kind of go from there. Yeah. Talk to me about using IQF fruit, individually quick frozen fruit, uh, you know, versus some, obviously, you know, puree, aseptic puree has, you know, been pasteurized and isn't going to necessarily bring in anything else that, uh, you know, could cause issues with that. IQF fruit, um, you know, may still have living yeast. It may, you know, there's a whole bunch of other elements that now come along with process you know, for you all as a brewery trying to use this, first of all, you know, whether you're pulsing the fruit yourself then in order to kind of maximize extraction, uh, then making sure that, uh, again, there's not yeast in there that's going to continue to do something, ferment all of that sugar out from the fruit and then cause you, you know, cause stuff to, to blow up or, you know, even if it's not going to cause a problem to at least uh, not dry out so that the beer then isn't what people expect when they drink it. Talk to me a little bit about your process with IQF fruit. Uh, so we will receive uh, a pallet about two days in advance to using. Uh, that's essentially the perfect amount of time to let it naturally thaw uh, so that it's still cold, but uh, mostly thawed all the way through um, and we'll load it into the tank along with all the other pastries, uh, transfer the beer onto it. Uh, typically the beer is actually warm and not cold uh, because the fruit is still like partially frozen, not fully frozen. Um, and at that point we're able to just turn on the glycol, chill it back down. And once again, like another cold extraction, uh, typically for about two weeks, we actually mm. like that, but a single infusion for two weeks. Um, and in terms of a lot of contact time for fruit, I don't know. We feel that's, uh, it, it works for us. If you try to shorten it, you really don't get the extraction. I mean, longer would actually be better. I mean, if you mm. think about like some of the sour beers that, uh, are on, you know, cherries for half a year or something like that. Uh, we wish we could do that, but we can't with our tank space. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's another cold extraction. Uh, we, I wish we could afford a pasteurizer. We currently don't, uh, have one. Uh, and we have had problems in the past, but for the most part, knock on stainless, we actually have somewhat stable beers as long as they're kept cold. I know this is a controversial trend in the industry. Sure. But uh, I don't know. It's one of those things that it's uh, because everybody's buying from the exact same company that like we have like a different product that can make us stand out. I mean, like the quality of the strawberry, I think, is fantastic in the company that we're buying it from quality of all the fruit is is amazing um we we saw that everybody was go most breweries were, were going down the the path of puree and uh either doing like the slushy version uh we we typically don't do that they're actually quite clear beers so they, they sit mm -hmm. on the fruit for a while and then we actually have a 
uh, a double filter set up that when we transfer it out, I mean, there will be, you know, obviously fruit clogging issues, kind of like Justin was talking about coconut earlier. Uh, but the this method, we're able to uh, break off one of the filters, clean it out, uh, sandy it and purge it out again uh, to keep the flow going. Um, that being said, some transfers can take a very long time. <laughs> sure, uh, sure, some, sure. some, some can be 35 minutes or they could be six hours, you know, uh, it depends on, on the day. Um, yeah, I just, it's one of those things. It's this harking back to the same thing with the stouts is this cold extraction for a long period of time. And we've landed on that and it, it works for us. Sure. Sure. Well, we've talked a lot about using adjunct ingredients over the course of this episode. Uh, Let's pull back a little bit and talk about the bigger picture for Pulpit Rock. Uh, you, you all also brew hoppy beers. You brew lagers. You know, you brew across the spectrum of beers that you want to drink, beers that your fans want from you. And you know, you're exploring these things in a, in a rich way so that people, when they come to Pulpit Rock, have a variety of different styles of beer to explore and taste through. Um, but what's the big picture goal? For Pulpit Rock, what uh, you know, what do you all hope to achieve in the next few years, and what's the what's the ultimate vision for Pulpit Rock as a brewing business? So I'd say it continue to be a community focused business where people can come and enjoy themselves, uh, have a tap list that appeases all palates. Um, so we're known for these pastry beers, but the majority of our consumers will drink like our lager or our, our, our IPA um, daily. I guess. One of my personal goals is that we uh, utilize more local ingredients. We actually have uh, connections with a couple uh, local farmers and actually Iowa's first uh, maltster oh. to be able to use uh, more local ingredients to make, uh, I guess, more, more, more non-adjuncted simple beers, simple ales and lagers. I mean, I personally wish cask ales would come back. I, I, I really love them. But just very approachable beers and just uh, continue to be uh, a community-focused company. Having something for everybody that they can come in, they can order something and enjoy it. Everything from a nice lager, IPA to the, the pastry beer, something for everyone. Yeah, I would say a couple of years back, our, our tap list got a little skew with being pastry, pastry, pastry. And I guess we're coming back into a, a sense of balance. So. That's our goal for the future, a balanced tap list with better balanced beers, all using the highest quality ingredients we can afford. Seeking more balance despite this broad imbalance in varying <laughs> yeah. ways. It's what we're known for. <laughs> Balancing yeah, your yeah, imbalance, yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Well, I think that's a great place to wrap this up. For nearly 30 years, GD Chillers has set the mark for quality equipment you can rely on. The Alchemator from Pro Brew strips the alcohol from beer without sacrificing flavor and color. Reclaim your margins with Old Orchard's Craft Concentrate Blends. Try Dry Bacteria from Fermentus for your next sour beer. Contact Country Mall Group today to try the new roasted malts from Best Malls. And Arrived provides the necessary tools to help your brewery grow. Of course, your magazine subscription directly supports our ability to bring you this podcast. Each week, go to beerandbring.com, click on that subscribe button. Let us know that this content matters for you. And of course, if you're a subscriber, you can go dig in those archives and check out recipe for little buddy from Pulpit Rock, as well as the breakout brewer story that uh, we did a few years ago. Um, Bob and Justin, if people want to learn more about Pulpit Rock, where do they find you all? 
Uh, well, you can follow our company Instagram at PR Brewing. Otherwise, we have our sister account, uh, the Pulper Rock Insider, obviously Facebook and our website. Or come meet us at the brewery and we'll hang out with you. In, uh, in yeah. Decorah, I'm, I'm Iowa. Decor. In beautiful Decorah, Iowa. Yeah. Well, thank you all for joining me on the podcast. Cheers. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.